cards for it now. And there are two readings. The first one is from the book of Isaiah. It's chapter 53 and verses 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And the next reading is from the book of Matthew. It's chapter 8 and verses 1 to 17. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found faith, sorry, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Well, hi everybody, my name's Paul, I'm one of the pastors here at Soul Revival, and uh, it's one of my great privileges to be able to share God's word with you this evening. Um, I first want to ask you a question though. Um, can you remember a time in your life when you've just been blown away with surprise. You know, one of those jaw-dropping moments where you just say, wow, just wow. 
could have been watching sport, you know, watching a hole-in-one in an important golf tournament, or hitting the winning runs off the last ball of the day, or a length of the field try in the dying seconds of the game. Perhaps you could be more um, cultured than that, and you might be moved deeply by an incredible musical performance, or stare in wonder at an amazing work of art. Perhaps you've gasped with surprise as the movie's taken this totally unexpected twist. They're great moments, aren't they, to be caught up in that. Now, there was no shortage of jaw-dropping moments when Jesus walked amongst the crowds of Palestine. Wherever he went, we're told, people were in constant awe. Just have a look at a few references here on the screen. I'm just picking a few out of many, many in the Gospel of Matthew here on the screen. When Jesus had finished saying these things, have we got it there? Got it? Matthew chapter 7, yeah, that's right. So here, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. That's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's gone for three chapters in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And when they finish, the crowds are amazed at Jesus' authority. Then a little bit later, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, they're in the middle of a great storm. And we're told, then Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the waves. And it was completely calm. Again, the men were amazed. And they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And then a paralysed man is brought before Jesus. And it says in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. Now when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God. Who had given such authority to a man? This is a paralysed man. He's not walking in a moment. He stands up and walks away. And then a little bit later on, we see a man who was demon-possessed, who could not talk, was brought to Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 9 we read, And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been made mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. When you can imagine, imagine the crazy scenes that have been surrounding Jesus as he walked through the crowds. It would have just been fever pitch excitement. It would have been just wild. But there's more going on here than just a dazzling display of power. These miracles point to who Jesus is. And as we read on in the Gospel, we'll actually see that many people responded to him the wrong way. And so as we think about Jesus tonight and reflect upon some of these miracles, why don't we pray now that God would help us to respond to him rightly. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, you've spoken to us through your word. We thank you that there was this re the record of what Jesus did as he walked amongst the people of Palestine all those years ago. But Lord, we know that now your word is just as active now as it was back then. And so Lord, we do pray that it would go into our hearts 
and that you would soften our hearts, open our minds, so that we might hear your word and respond rightly to it, so that we might be able to turn to Jesus and respond to him rightly. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we come to the beginning of chapter 8 that we just read for us earlier. Have a look at chapter 8, verse 1 to 3 here on the screen. Now, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Now, leprosy is a horrible, horrible disease. It disfigures. It can disable people physically. It's contagious. So you're cut off socially. And what's more, from the understanding of the Bible, it makes you spiritually unclean, so you're cut off from God. In the Old Testament, the idea of being able to be cured from leprosy was put on a par with being raised from the dead. It was something that only God could do. And so, with that in mind, what does Jesus do? He brushes the disease away with a touch. And in that moment, the man is healed and cleansed. Now, the next episode, as we roll on, is even more astonishing. Here on the screen, chapter 8, verse 5. A centurion came to Jesus, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve you to come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Now, you see how things are ramping up? No need to touch this time. No need even to be nearby. Just a word and the paralysed man is healed. Effortless authority. And we read on in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 16. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Again, cured just with a touch. No convalescence needed. She immediately moves from the sick bed to the stove to serve people. And this time, no one even asked Jesus to do it. And look at the end of that verse. He healed some of the sick, the easy ones to heal. He healed all the sick. Not one was turned away. Such kindness. Such power. Now before we go on, we need to admit that such events um, are hard to believe. Especially today, thousands of years later. How are we to answer the sceptic that says, surely this sort of stuff didn't happen. It's all a big legend, story. Well, how do I answer this? Firstly, the gospel is not written like a once upon a time type of story. 
It's not that time to document. It's, it's all the way through we see real life historical and geographical references all tied through it, right throughout. And furthermore, all these things happened and were written down, not just in the presence of Jesus' friends. These things happened and were written down in the presence of Jesus' enemies. And let me tell you, he had a few. He had a few enemies. He had plenty of them. They hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. And yet, they could not deny that the miracles were happening. Yes, a bit later on we're going to read, they might question about where Jesus got his power from. They'll say he got his power from Satan. But they don't say, oh, the, the miracles didn't occur at all. They says, no, they, they did occur. They couldn't deny that these events were real because they were real. They were real people, real, desire, real diseases in real life situations. They made well and the evidence was there for the crowds to see. But as I said earlier, there's more going on here than just a dazzling display of power. And so we come to a very key verse of this chapter. In verse 17 here on the screen, Matthew explains why he's brought together this collection of healing stories. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew's saying here that the miracles of Jesus identify him. They prove him in history to be the divine servant king of God. The one promised by God in Isaiah through those wonderful passages that we had just a little bit read out earlier. This, the one who through whom God's perfect kingdom, his new creation, will come to earth. A new creation in which there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, or sickness, or sadness. Because this servant king will make everything new. It's a preview of seeing what will come, what's to come. Now, I don't know about you, but as a kid there was a thing I used to love when mum was making a cake. I used to sneak to the kitchen before she put it in the oven and just, you know, dip the finger in the cake mix. Any of you done that? I'm sure you have. Lining up to lick the beaters, that sort of thing. It tastes wonderful, but actually points towards something even greater to come. And the healings are like that. They, are a taste, they taste amazing in their own right, they're, but they're real people in real distress and their lives are transformed by God's loving kindness. But the miracles are so much more than that. They are tasters pointing towards a pain-free new creation. A world in which God's people will finally know and have bodies that are free of defects and disease. Now, as we look at this, it's also important that we take a little bit of time just to reflect and understand that the issues surrounding the whole issue of healing. One thing you need to be sure here, friends, Jesus did never promise to remove all sickness from this age. He's not, just as he's not promised to remove all sin from people in this age, just as he's promised not to spare us from the prospect of physical death 
nor persecution and opposition. Gloriously, he'll do all these things in the new creation. But he's not promised to do it yet. So we must be careful how far we allow this passage to go. Now, of course, Jesus, God can still heal miraculously to this day. And so I'll happily pray for anyone who is sick, as we've just done, as Quinn's just done. We pray in confidence that God has got the ability to heal and heal miraculously. He might answer that prayer. Heal miraculously, or he might heal through the medical professions and medications that we have. But if healing doesn't come, it would be terribly unkind of me to lead you into think that, to expect that to happen, no matter what. Because you can see the, how this unfolds, how it un- unwinds. If I was to do that, then maybe God hasn't healed because there's some sort of fault in me or you. And we can get ourselves into a terrible mess. When we get sick or battle sin or where the Christians we love die, each of those are to be a spur to us. It reminds us to wonder at what Jesus did back here in the Gospel. But it also points us towards heaven and makes us long for that day where he'll come back again and there will be no more crying or pain. Okay, so that's the first big point of this passage. That the miracles of Jesus declare who he is. He is the servant king of God who will usher in the great promised kingdom. So, in light of who he is, how do I respond to him? Well, in the passage we've got three examples to have a look at. Let's have a look at a couple of them. Here's the first one. The first example is seen in an exchange uh, between Jesus and the Roman centurion. The centurion recognises that Jesus has all the authority of God. And so we read in the passage here, Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, here on the screen. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. It's interesting, isn't it? The crowds are always amazed, and now we see Jesus being amazed, amazed at, who? Amazed at this centurion. And he said to those following him, Surely I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The man here, the centurion, identifies Jesus um, as the one with authority, who has the power to heal, with a word from a distance. And then Jesus, in that amazing, being amazed by this man's faith, understands that he will be a prototype. He's the first of many non-Jews who will recognise Jesus for who he is. And he will be found with many other non-Jews of all languages, tribes and tongues. Uh, to be found at the great banquet of heaven. But just also in that little passage, we have the terrible warning, don't we, in verse 12, which talks about the tragedy that not everyone will be part of this great feast. It doesn't matter how many miracles Jesus performs, some people will not, they'll simply just refuse to bow the knee. And he's talking here mostly about the Jewish establishment that will grow to become more and more and more hostile to Jesus. But they're not the only ones. Yes, there will be a great number from every nation in heaven. But sadly, there'll be many more who will be shut out of the kingdom, shut out of those blessings and to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And so as we read on, let's listen to some other responses to Jesus. Here on the screen, I've got Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, as I said, it's totally unsurprising that the crowds were following Jesus and wanting to come around. And here we see someone who bounds up with great enthusiasm. It's almost like a puppy dog running up to Jesus. Great enthusiasm. I'll follow you wherever you go, he says. Now you think that's a pretty good start. You think that would be pretty good. But there's some clues in this passage as to this guy may not be as genuine as he seems. We could call this guy um, Mr. Too Much Too Soon or Enthusiastic Eddie. Right from the outset. Did you notice what he calls Jesus? He calls him teacher. Now, that's not wrong, but it's not adequate. It's actually quite ominous. There's only one other disciple of Jesus who called him teacher. Judas Iscariot called him that. And then there's the fact that this guy is described as a teacher of the law. And as these people appear throughout the gospel, they're nearly universally always opposed to Jesus. And then lastly, we can see in Jesus' reply as he looks into the heart of this man. That is, he's saying he doesn't know what he's asking for. You can imagine what Jesus is saying. So you think following me is just going to be one long party of healings and happy crowds and fame. Jesus is saying it's not. Animals and birds might have homes, but I don't have a home. There's no creature comforts on the road to discipleship. And I'm certain that Eddie's enthusiasm might have taken a severe turn where he, if he knew where Jesus was headed, headed towards the cross. Okay, so that's our first example. Let's read on. Have a look here at verse, uh, chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now we could call this guy uh, Mr. Too Little Too Late, Mr. Half-Hearted Harry, if you will. Now at first glance you might say, well, that just, Jesus sounded a bit harsh there, don't you think? I mean, isn't that a reasonable request? I mean, the Ten Commandments say, honour your father and your mother, um, and Jesus is going to go on saying that you should be caring for your parents. So wouldn't you think that a decent burial um, would be included in the idea of honouring your father and mother? Well, once again, this little exchange, if you look at it carefully, something's not quite right. One clue there is that little word, first. First, let me go. 
and do something else. Now we can read this verse and presume that the father is already dead and so that's why we might read it and we start to think, well, the man's just asking for a couple of days of compassionate leave. But that's not how it would have sounded to first century ears. If the father was dead, then this man would have already been required to be in mourning and he would have been busy preparing the funeral. There's no way that he would have been out on the road following big crowds, talking to a travelling rabbi. So if the father is not dead, it puts a different perspective on the whole request. What he's saying is this, um, I'll follow you, but can I wait a while? Can I put it off a bit? Would you mind if I put off being really serious about you for an indefinite period of time? Ever thought this, I'll follow you, Jesus, um, but would you mind if I don't take it too seriously at school? Because, you know, when I follow Jesus at school, it makes me stand out. Just a little bit inconvenient. Um, I would, maybe you might say, oh, I'm happy to follow you, Jesus, but um, I've got a few more rungs to climb on my career ladder, and uh, I've just got to get that done first. I'll follow you, Jesus, but let me get married first. I'll follow you, Jesus, but can you help let me get my children through school first? And so on and so forth. There's many things we can put above Jesus. You know what? A really challenging word was said by a very wise man called Augustine. A bit of history for you. Here on the screen, have a look at what he said. Jesus Christ... He's not valued at all until he is valued above all. Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he is valued above all. As Jesus answers this man, the first two words are key. What does he say? He says, follow me. This gospel, the gospel of Matthew, is aiming to build in us a deep conviction and knowledge about who Jesus is. And as we know who he is, then it will turn us to have a strong and focused devotion to follow him. You see, a flawed and failing discipleship nearly always flows out of, out of a failure to understand who Jesus is. If we don't get him right, then we'll never be the right kind of, of disciple. So with that in mind, one on a closing prayer, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do pray that we need your help. We admit that we so often wander from you and put so many other things ahead of you. So Lord, please help us to follow you with an undivided heart follow you all the days of our lives and as we look forward and continue to be hungry for that day where you'll come back and take us to heaven to be with you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.